We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. You're hearing this on Tuesday, but it is Monday when we're recording this, which is the first day of May. So, a new month. It should be a new season because this month of April, weather-wise, has just been the fucking pits, man. It's been terrible. I'm joined by my good friend, podcaster, writer, sports media personality, Joe Yurden. I'm not, don't worry. I'm not going to bitch about the weather too much. <laughs> I always start out these podcasts. I'm so predictable at this point, bitching about the weather. But anyway, like I said, it's May now. So uh, maybe a sense of optimism that it's finally going to start being a little nicer out consistently. Anyway, there's rain. April rain, isn't it? Spring showers. Or April whatever. showers bring May flowers. May flowers. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, we got a lot of April showers this month. It feels like it rained every damn day, man. How you doing? What's going on? You were in Toronto, by the way. Um, I was. Game five. And we'll talk about the Maple Leafs specifically in a few minutes. But how was it? Trip to Toronto. It was I was good. I I, I love going there anyways. Like, Toronto is mm-hmm. just an awesome city to be at. Um, West Side. Cyber I take alarm right away. <laughs> right away. They're like, Toronto, a good city. No way. We hate Toronto here. But no, it's... uh. Uh, was up there for for Bleacher Report to uh, in case the Maple Leafs clinched their first round series that night in Toronto, and it was it was why it was it wasn't wild, but it was very interesting to to go up there and everybody was in a really happy jovial mood. I mean, they're up three to one, sure. you know, they're playing, you know, they they pulled out a couple of wins and games they probably shouldn't have won, so you know, you're feeling pretty good about that. The whole city was like ready to party. Everything's going. They score, you know, like six minutes into the game. And it's like, oh boy, well, this could be a seven to nothing game. I was like, let's, I didn't get the words. Let's see how Tampa responds out of my mouth. And then Tampa scores right away to tie it. And I'm like, I was like, Toronto ain't winning this game. You just like, you just know it because the feeling in the city and, you know, the place hadn't even had a chance to like bubble up and get really loud and crazy yet. And Sorelli ties it up. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that sucked all the air out of the room for like the next what, like 40 minutes of the game, basically. So, yeah, it was, yeah, at that point, I, I should have started writing my Tampa 
my Tampa, you know, heart of a champion column that I ended up writing. Like, like, you know, like hey, if you start counting the champs out, you're in big trouble. And then, uh, so, but it was, I mean, just listen, Vasilevsky played so sketchily in the previous couple of games and everybody was dogging on him about like, oh, screenshots, you can't stop them. And then he stopped almost everything in that game. He was incredible. So, uh, a great playoff game, a, a, just a great game to watch. I mean, it's playoffs, man. Playoff games are great to watch, period. Yeah. Uh, would have been cool to be there to see them finally get up, get the, uh, get the, uh, stone off their back about sure. not, not getting out of the first round. And, you know, they end up getting it done in game six down in Tampa in overtime again. But, um, but yeah, but people here hate it. It's good for my wallet to, to have Toronto move on. I'll, I'll be very blunt about that. Um, yeah, but it'll sure. be really cool. I was, I was hoping it was going to be Toronto, Boston, but things, Different things. We're going to get into that later, but but things things went in a different direction. Yeah, they, they certainly did. And I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to hockey specifically in, in just a minute here. It just probably cool to. Well, again, you, they didn't clinch on right. the night you were there to cover the game, but just the uh, the optimism in the city and mm-hmm. getting that monkey off their back of yeah. being a kind of a laughing stock in terms of having all this talent. And never getting out of the first yeah. round. As opposed to a team like the Sabres, they're a laughing stock, or they were, I should say, a laughing stock right. for different reason. They're just they just haven't been any good. Right. Toronto's been really good, but year after year they kind of gag in uh, the first round. So Let's, I'm sure the fans were excited, but also probably a little tight. And I would imagine as you left that game in Toronto, which was what yeah, it was game five. Game five. Probably yeah. a lot of anxious, um, anxiety ridden. Toronto Maple Leaf fans, I would imagine, yeah. thinking like, oh, shit, here we go again. Well, that's the um, thing. Like, Toronto, I mean, Toronto's a big city. It's a very yeah. big city. It's always busy. There's always something going on. It was a ghost town by the time I left the arena. Now, mind you, it's like, what, a Thursday night, like Wednesday, Thursday night, whatever it was. Um, was it, it was Thursday, I think. Thursday, yeah. Yeah, it was Thursday because, yeah, because game six was Saturday. Um so, so it's a Thursday night, so like people aren't going to be out and going crazy anyways because it's not, you know, if it was a Friday night, maybe there's a lot more people around, but it was a ghost town. I don't mind you, I'm leaving the arena at 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody should be out anyways, but like even on, the, even on the highways, like sometimes even that late at night, getting out of Toronto can take some time because there's just pe- there's people. People are everywhere. The people driving, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, but it was the easiest drive out of Toronto I've had in a long, long time after yeah. a game. Like that was... It was it was pretty it was pretty amazing. I, I I'm disappointed there wasn't a game seven just so I could have that contrast of how the fans were ahead of game five and then how what the sure what the feel in the building would have been for a game seven because at that point you'd be talking about like oh Tampa just won two in a row and uh oh <laughs> you know like yeah. Toronto was up three to one and there's that old joke online where it's like it was three one and you know they haven't had luck with that in the past but um. You know, I mean, listen, that's that's more media, media morbidity, you know, looking for a story than anything. So but uh, but it was listen, it was it's a great atmosphere. It's very cool. I mean, listen, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says, like, the league's better when the Leafs are better. I hate that shit. I hate it so much. Like people are like, oh, basketball's better when the Lakers are good. Get out of my face, please. Just, you know, enough of that. You know, it's every sport has those teams. Oh, NFL's better when the Cowboys are good. No, I'm not. Get all those idiots out of here, please. But um, <laughs> but it, but like having the Leafs finally get this off their back. I mean, 
A, we're going to have to come up with new material, especially in Buffalo, because the whole thing with the Leafs not getting out of the first round since 04 was like, well, the Sabres have done it more recently than you guys. So, yuck, 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 yuck. So, shout out to uh, our friend Jill Thompson, Sabres Bunny. Um, heart was broken, I'm sure, Saturday <laughs> night when uh, Toronto won in advance. I told her, I talked to her on Sunday. I said, I almost texted you. I was at a bar. I said, I almost texted you right from the bar. I was like, my condolences are, are out to you right now. Now, you said this too. Um, you know, it's good for you. Uh, yeah. in your job for Toronto to move on. Sure. I'm not gonna lie, selfishly, Saturday night when when they won in Tampa, I was I wanted Toronto to win, and I'm you saying that uh, you hate Tampa something fiercely. I, I I do hate Tampa. Well, I don't hate the Lightning. I hate the Tampa fans. That's a mm. big difference. But anyway, <laughs> I uh True. I wanted Toronto to win selfishly because Game Seven, which. I get your point. It would have been nice for you to cover a game seven just for the contrast and story. Me selfishly, I didn't want a game seven because that means you would have been in Toronto That's on true. Monday and uh, I would have been looking you for a substitute now. and we wouldn't be doing this podcast. So selfishly, I'm kind of happy that uh, Toronto won. We'll talk hockey in just a second. I went out. So like I said, you went to Toronto, you covered a game. Mm-hmm. I went on a little uh, Saturday, a little mini uh, bar tour. Okay. I went to bar, bar uh, crawl, uh, like uh, yeah. I went, yeah, my own little bar right. crawl, I guess. Um, I went to, and I've talked about this place before. And by the way, if you're watching this on the video side here, uh, shout out the Ridge in West Seneca. I know you still haven't been there. I'm telling you, we got to go there sometime for some lunch and uh, and a pint or two. Check it out, absolutely. It is a nice place. It's on Orchard Park Road in West Seneca. They got and my my favorite place about or thing about this place is it's a brewery, and they got food and a pretty good kitchen, too. Not as good as Beltline Brewery. I'm just going to throw that out there like that. Beltline Brewery <laughs> kitchen kicks ass. The Ridge is not that good, but the kitchen's decent. But they got – it's big, and on one side, they got a brewery, and the other side, they got a bar, and, you know, there's places to sit down and eat all over. But what I like about this place, like, say you and I went to a place like Beltline Brewery, and I'm just – because that's the first brewery that's popping in my head right now. Right. You got to drink the beers, the crafts that they have, mm-hmm. or you're shit out of luck. And what I like about a place like uh, the Ridge in West Seneca, if you want some kind of craft beer, and I don't, and I just I'm a domestic dude, who, you know right. the cheap boring beer. I want Miller Lights or Coors Light or Bud Light or whatever. I can also get that. So I can go to the bar, get myself a Miller Light, and then go right and meet you in the brewery section while you're mm-hmm. sipping on, you know, whatever craft beer. Don't get any grief choosing. for it either. People are just like, oh, geez, this guy's getting a getting a Bud Light. Okay. Like, well, I'll you know, tell you what. Crap for that. Or, I mean, well, I'm sure your buddies probably give you, give you some Sure, crap. a little bit, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> they also have an amazing special. I got to throw this out there. 22 ounces, so a big boy draft Miller yeah. Lite, four bucks. That Ooh. shit is cheap as hell. And again, this is no slummy bar. This is a nice place. Mm-hmm. And when it gets nicer, they got like a patio area, and it's nice. pretty big. So I'm looking forward to that. So anyway, I went there. Then I went to Slick Willie's, which is on Niagara Falls Boulevard in Amherst. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Slick no, no disrespect. Not my kind of place. It's uh, yeah. first of all, it's far for me. Now, maybe if you live in Amherst, it's not you know, a hop, skip, and a jump. Your your attitude might be different. For me, it's a good half hour away. I went there as my buddy Josh, but who by the way listens to the show all the time. So nice. shout out to him. It was his birthday, so we had a little surprise gathering for him there. It's a kind of like a. It's a bar, but it's also like a pool hall. Like there's several pool tables okay. there. People come to shoot pool. Like they show up with their pool sticks. I'm like, that. Nah, that's just just not for me. But anyway, so we went there for a couple. The place was fine. No, everyone was cool there. Then I went to um, and this is the first time I've ever been there. I don't. You probably haven't been there. Angelina's, it's called. It's in East Aurora. 
It's far. And now, again, where we live, it's far for us anyway. Yeah. Me, West Seneca, you, the West Side. Beautiful bar, though, dude. Really nice on the inside. Didn't have their food, but I've heard a lot of good things about the food. Obviously, I'll okay. try their wings there because I'll try wings anywhere. But <laughs> they got a big ass outside for music, a cornhole. Really nice place, man. So I, I enjoyed that. Then I went to Prohibition, which is right next to the stadium. And, you know, people right. pretty much know about that place. That's, that's I like a that long place. ranging tour, man. That's a, it sure is, dude. Around. I wasn't driving, by the way. Let me throw that out there. Okay. Too. So I mean, I did have a couple pops. I'm not going to lie, but I wasn't driving. So who cares? I was anyway, saying, uh, that, I was, that beer tour compares with the uh, the bachelor the bachelor party brewery weekend I had last weekend. Uh, yeah, which uh, was we basically went across Massachusetts. Uh, it's a buddy of mine from you know back home near Albany. Yeah, getting married this summer, and we you know packed a van full of us. There was like nine of us, and we just trucked it across. We started in North Adams, Mass, which blew me away because I that's where I went to college. Uh, mm -hmm. to start school so we're, we're going to north adams i'm like what are we doing here guys I haven't drunk here in a long time <laughs> and uh we went from there out to like framingham uh, out around boston's well, the boston suburbs they had a whole ton of places just every every decent brewery around boston every really good brewery around boston we probably stopped at it so it was really yeah, cool those are fun man those those are a lot of fun and yeah and i like look i like prohibition the only problem with prohibition is that it's for being as popular as it is and where it's located right next to the stadium it's, it's small on the inside, it's it's smallish. So mm -hmm. during the winter, or if it's not nice out, you could get cramped in there really quick. Mm -hmm. Now they got a nice they got a nice uh, patio outside and a side patio. Lots of room when the weather's nice out. But winter, or spring, that's tough. Or like Buffalo, like ten months a year when it's not nice <laughs> enough to be outside, that bar <laughs> could get cramped. So I went there and then I ended up at Rusty Buffalo in West Seneca, which is like my home base bar. Okay, um, but nice place too, man. It's um on Center Road. In West Seneca, but anyway, Rusty Buffalo, because uh, I know there's like Rusty Nickel Brewing. That's yeah, like that's out that way too. Is that's that different? A, that's different. That's I know a, that's near Ebenezer's. Right. Thing, yeah, that's right? straight. Yeah. That's down the road another couple miles um, okay. from there. I, I've been geography there down there is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're both nice places, but yeah, Rusty Buffalo. It's another cool okay. spot. That's kind of like my home base. Um, nice bar. Birthday's coming up, by the way, this Saturday. So if you're not doing nothing, oh, Joe, boy. or anyone listening, Casey's BlackRock, I'm going to be up there. I got a lot of friends coming up there. So full outrage out there. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But you know, you know, Casey's is a nice bar right I on do. Amherst and uh, West Side BlackRock. I love that place. So mm -hmm. I'll be there anyway, Saturday. Maybe Joe will be there as well. I'm, we'll looking, see I'm, I, I'm going back to my email for. Uh, the games one and two what the second round is because i don't know because i still don't know yet for sure oh yeah. yeah they're not playing saturday so that's that actually works out good so yeah see there you go so we will I be, might, some be beers, uh, tired depending like we'll see but um, <laughs> yeah. so let's talk about these platforms and again the the premise of today's episode two things two weeks ago you weren't on last week because of mm -hmm. uh i can't remember oh yeah you had to go you, you were yeah. traveling so yeah. <laughs> you weren't on last week two weeks ago we highlighted uh, five things that went right for the Sabres mm -hmm. this season. Today, we're going to kind of flip that coin a little bit, be a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Yeah, I guess I to mean, an extent. I mean, we're just keeping shit real here. But anyway, we'll talk right. about five things that went wrong for the Sabres because, as of course, as it turns out, they were merely two points away from being in this playoffs. And who the hell knows? So anyway, we'll talk about that. We got some thoughts both on the Buffalo Bills draft and also the Detroit Lions draft, the polarizing draft. Joe is a... Uh, Detroit fan, if you watch or listen to the show, you know that. So we got some thoughts on that as well. But let's start quickly here. Just talking. Uh, the NHL playoffs is just 
look, hockey playoffs is always a different animal. We we all know that. You know, yeah. you like even if you don't enjoy hockey that much during the regular season, it just gets so amped up in the playoffs. To yeah, it, it really does. It's fun to watch. Anyway, we talked about Toronto. So Toronto ends their long drought. They get out of the first round. That's not even the biggest story. And no. then the Seattle Kraken. What is this? Their second year in the league now. Yep. Second year in the league. Second year only, in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. They second year in the NHL, an expansion team, first time in the playoffs ever. And all they do is go out and, and they beat Colorado. And that's not even probably the biggest story. <laughs> Defending either. Cup champs. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. If you would have said, going back, if we did an NHL preview show here on this podcast last September or something, and we said, well, who's going to be the team to knock off Colorado this year so they don't defend their cup? And I would have said, oh, yes, yeah, it's going to be the Seattle Kraken, of course. You'd be like, what? But anyway, smoking. Seattle wins. And that's not even the biggest story. No. The biggest story is the Florida Panthers, who literally got into the playoffs by a point, two yep. points. They beat the Boston Bruins, one of the best regular season teams we've seen in forever. They beat him in an epic game seven thriller in overtime, man. That's the biggest story. I don't know, man. Just briefly talk about the the craziness of, of this first round. This is wild, bro. It's uh, man. The I, I I I'll get accused of being a I don't know if it's being a homer or gives a know, shit protecting my own interests or whatever the hell it is. But I always say the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is just as good and crazy and fun as the first two rounds of the NCAA men's tournament for yeah. like upsets for and sure. stuff happening for like just basically anything being wide open. Like you don't know what's going to happen. I, 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 I firmly stand by that. Like anytime there's a game that goes to overtime, everybody's like, Oh shit, we got to tune in. doesn't matter what time of night it is. It could be 10 o'clock. It could be like one 30 in the morning. Like, Oh, still a game going on. We're in overtime. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this could be nuts. So I, it, it gets everybody's attention. Like this is the time of year. The NHL has to cash in like this. I mean, I, I don't want to break it down into a money, you know, make money thing. But like this is the time of year where you they've got everybody's attention because even, you know, like NBA playoffs are fun. Like those are cool. I think they were more fun when it was best of five in the first round. But that's just me. But um, but like the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, man, it's a whole different beast because it's, you know, it's the physicality of the game. It's. The stakes are, you know, I mean, the stakes are always high in playoffs, but in, but in hockey, it always feels like it's a bigger deal because everybody's hitting each other harder. You know, the goals are the goals scored are, you know, could be the backbreaker for the game at any point. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's the emotional swings of the of the whole thing. You know, you get one sketchy hit and everybody's like, oh, boy, here we go. It's, you know, it's it's hot take central. Like everything about it is awesome. Um, and to have have this happen. uh the the wild thing about Boston losing is that it's not even the first time it's happened in a long time. Tampa Bay Lightning, this happened to them what, four years ago. They got oh. they got swept. They were the best President's Trophy winning best team in the in the league by leaps and bounds. They got swept in the first round by Columbus. Oh. I, I mean, and you know who the goalie was for Columbus? Sergei Bobrovsky. So like you know it's. The same dude in Florida pulled off another, you know, magic trick. Florida yeah. was the President's Cup trophy winner last year, weren't they? They were, which yeah. is a new, is, which is a good twist to this this whole playout thing, because you know Boston does it this year, and it's like they're the best team in the league by leaps and bounds. You know, they clinched the playoff spot in the beginning of March. You know, they clinched the President's Trophy like two weeks later. Like they were hands down the best team in the league by far. Um, 
But Florida have been playing playoff style games for like the last two months, which we know we're very well aware of that in Buffalo. Sure are. Yes, uh, sir. Yeah. Um, so so Florida have been playing up like this and playing this kind of hockey for a while. And they started getting hot right about the time where you want your team to start feeling good and getting ready for the postseason. And man, oh man, it carried over. And like all these guys that you're looking at the you look at that roster and you're like, oh, that guy could be a pain in the ass in the playoffs. Ooh, that guy, ooh, I don't know if I want to deal with that guy in a short series. Like all these guys, like five of them are on that team. <laughs> you know, like you've got, you know, like Matthew Kachuk's the top one. He's the first guy in the list ever, you know, drives everybody crazy. People hate him. He's a one hell of a goddamn good player. He's he's so good. Um, you know, Radko Gudis, who I think half the Sabres fan base is really sweaty, hoping he, he can sign with the Sabres in the offseason. Um, plays a mean style of hockey, physical, plays a I don't give a shit style, like just whatever. I'm just gonna run you over, I'm gonna hit you, pop you in the middle of the ice. Doesn't matter. Block a shot, line, whatever, cool. Um, he's been that way his whole career, and now it's like, well, there he is. <laughs> there he is making Boston, you know, get flattening those guys all over the ice. And then Bobrovsky, like he's been like he's such a polarizing guy. Like he's he's won a Vezina a couple of times. Like he's had some great, unbelievable seasons, but like he was awful the first two months this year. He was horrible. Like it just like, just you're like, what are they gonna do? They got this guy for like five more years at 10 million a year. Like, holy shit, what's gonna happen? Uh, and then you know, classic Bob style, he started getting warm, started getting started getting warm right around January, and then started getting a little bit better, a little bit better, and you know, then he gets supplanted by Alex Lyon the last couple of weeks of the year. Like, well, Bob's toast. He's done. Lyon gets beat up by Boston the one game, and they go right back to Bob, and he <laughs> goes right back in and shuts it down. Like, it's yeah. it's crazy. It's it's a wild story. And the you know the fact that they they won the President's Trophy last year, and they got bounced by Tampa. You know, it's going to happen. Tampa's good. Sure, uh, but it, I think it was like the second year in a row they got bounced by Tampa in the playoffs. So, you know, it's one of those things that kind of sticks in your craw where you're just like, man, we got to get, we got to get over this. We got to get through this and get, get to it. Um, They did, you know, like they, they did a hell of a job doing it because they know what it's like to have that pressure on them. You know, they were a 120 point team last season and Tampa came in with like, like, Hey, we just won a cup. Who gives a shit? You know, (laughs) like we just won years in a row. Like this is easy. Uh, but this time around, Florida goes into this series of Boston. They're like, oh, we're down 3-1. We could be down in the mouth. They're like, yeah, well, whatever. The pressure's on them. they got to win one more. And then Florida rattles off three in a row. Bingo, bango, done. Like, it's, it's, it, it's boiling it down and making it sound really easy and really simple. It's not. There's so many more factors at play. You know, I mean, Patrice Bergeron was probably playing, you know, he probably had like five different injuries. Like, he didn't play till game five. Uh, David Krejci missed a couple of games for them. Like that's, you know, it's the number two center, the top two centers being out for chunks of the series. That's no good. And Linus Allmark, our boy Linus, he looked like Buffalo Linus for, for, and he's going to win the Vesna too. He's right. going to win the Vesna. And he gets, he gets taken. Like he's, he doesn't start game seven. He's a Vesna winner. He's going to win the Vesna. Ve- a Vesna winner he doesn't he start the game, like, the game of the year. Game six. Like, well, shit. Crazy. It's you nuts, know, man. Like it's, but that's 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 boiling it down to to like what the what the Stanley Cup playoffs are about. Like that's it, any any kind of crap like that can happen. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I just think back to like 2008. Like Dominic Hasek is the you know starting goalie for the Red Wings. You're like, oh geez, Hasek, you know, legend, Hall of Famer. He's a he's incredible. He gets benched like after like game three, four, three, four, five for Detroit. 
uh, and they put in Chris Osgood. Osgood's, you know, very good goalie for his career, or whatever. Sure. He put Osgood in, and he looked more like Hashik than Hashik ever did. <laughs> and then he carries Detroit to the Stanley Cup to win it that year. It's like, how does that happen? How do you, how do you, a bench Hashik, yeah, Dominic Hashik, like still, like, I mean, he was old, but still great. You bench him, and like, that was it. Like, his yeah. NHL career was done after that year. Like, I mean, he wins another cup. That's cool. But like, he, like his career was basically done. NHL career. I mean, he went back to Czechia and played sure. like four more years. But, um, but like, you know, stuff like that is what happens in the playoffs. Just any, anything and anything and everything can happen. Yeah. Boston and Florida, wild. The first round, generally speaking, just absolutely wild. I tell you, it's really reignited my, my thirst to watch the Sabres play playoff hockey now. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the playoffs are always exciting in hockey. So the difference is over these last several years, I've never envisioned the Sabres being a playoff team, you know, but now <laughs> I can envision the Sabres being a playoff team. So mm-hmm. that is really, uh, like I said, this first round is really exciting me and ignited uh, my thirst to see that. When we did talk about the Sabres, again, two weeks ago, we discussed what went right. Uh, I kind of want to turn our attention to five things that I think, and I'll get your thoughts on these that went wrong. And because a lot of these are like so connected. So instead of going through it point by point, I'm going to kind of throw all five of these out at you at once. Mm-hmm. Then we'll kind of go wherever you want to go with this conversation. But the five points that I came up with, the biggest ones anyway, what went wrong? One, their home record. And I'm just going to, you know, gloss over these now and then we can circle back. Their home record, just 17, 20, and four at home. They were 25, 13, and three. They were great on the road. They were very lousy at home this year. Um, another point, the pressure got to them at some point. From February 28th to March 21st, they won just two out of 12 games and got just six out of a potential 24 points. Goes without saying, the Sabres missed the playoffs literally by two points. Um, they gave away points against crappy teams. They lost at home to Columbus. They lost at Philly on St. Patrick's Day. They lost that shootout at home to Montreal. Those are three games just off the yeah. top of my head that you flip any one of those and there's, the Sabres could have been in the playoffs. There's one that I could point out that's, that would be very deeply, deeply infuriating. The last yeah. time you played the Florida Panthers and Alex yeah. Tuck gets a goal overturned on a, or uh, the Panther, or Sabres get a goal overturned because Alex Tuck was uh, over offside by two millimeters two millimeters and yeah. the panthers end up winning that game instead yep. of buffalo and then yep. Here's, yep there's your two point swing right there there is and then i got two other points too goaltending um the sabers this year 8 29 and 5 when scoring less than four goals a game the goaltending was just flat out not good enough they didn't steal enough barely any games this year where the, you know, you play like shit, but your goalie plays out of his mind and you win two to one, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like that. Or hell, even three to two. They didn't score right. four goals. They only won eight times. And then the last thing, as good as the front half of the defense is with Darlene Power and uh, and Samuelson, the back end, not quite as much. So those are the five things. I don't know, wherever you want to start, whether it's they're, they're playing like shit at home for a lot of the year, whether it's the the goaltending or just giving mm-hmm. points away, the pressure. I don't know. What, what do you think? It's it's funny because it it's good to break them down into like five different things, but so many of them are intertwined. Yes. Know? So right. many of them are connected with each other. You know, like mm-hmm. the home ice, the the playing, you know, the bad record at home ties into ties into the the feeling the pressure thing because yep. And you know, we heard it all season. And I mean, you can always choose to believe it if if you want to or not. 
but the thing we kept we heard consistently throughout the year, you know, beginning from beginning to the end, you know, where they lose a weird game at home and you're just like, what the hell's going on? Like, why are they losing to Arizona? Why are they losing to Vancouver? Like, what the hell's yep. going on with these these games? They lose those games and you hear like, well, you know, these guys they really wanna they want to impress the fans, they want to put on a show, which you know, you can be guilty. You know, every team's guilty of you know trying to show off a little too much and do you know be a little too creative, pass up some easy shots, whatever. Um, but like at home, like I mean, the the youth of the team, the guys love the crowd when they pop. You know, who doesn't love that? I mean, that's that's what you want to sure. do. But you want like these guys feed off of it like crazy. Like it's it, it was it was something else because we saw it every game. Like they score a goal. Like if they're down a goal, you know, at some point in a game. And they score one to tie it up. There's a there was a good chance they were going to pop off a couple more pretty quickly. I mean, not like within a minute, but like the next five five to ten minutes of the game, they could pop two more, and then they're running away with it. We saw that happen countless times. Sure, um, but it's that you know riding that emotional roller coaster, and at home you feel it way more because the crowd is with you, is feeling it with you because you know you give up a goal, everybody's like, oh. Jeez. Okay. Like, come on. Like, get you know, get on with it. Like, get you know, put it together. Um, and you know, like the, these guys are just they they get caught up in that. It's hard not to, honestly. I mean, it, I I mean, I can never put myself in their position, but like, you can sit there at a game and feel like how the how, you know how the building you know the vibes of the the building and how everything's going and being like, no, this doesn't seem right. I mean, things are a little bit off tonight, and I think everybody's kind of feeling it, feeling the same way. You were in the building, Joe, for all these, yeah. for this yeah. whole stretch. When like I said, talk about two, two wins in 12 games. And a lot of them weren't even just losses. Like I remember one stretch, they got taken to the woodshed several times. They gave up 10 yeah. goals once. They gave up seven goals. A couple like, times. Two yeah. times. I remember because it seemed like every time I did a podcast on a Thursday at Imperial, the Sabres were giving up seven goals yeah. or whatever. But being in that building, you, you got the sense, didn't you, that the Sabres just were playing at that time really really tight and it showed yeah. oh yeah yeah they were they were super tight because they knew they were close they were close in the playoff race at that point you know mm -hmm. like they're right there because everybody you know, everybody else in the playoff race was playing like crap too to be honest they were in the playoffs on february 28th i believe when the yes I so. yeah i think so yeah because because uh, that's what started it <laughs> it was losing to columbus at home where you're like you lose to these guys like, what the hell's going on and then the next game was uh, was in Boston, and they lose seven to one. And then you're like, uh oh, <laughs> you're yeah. like, uh oh, okay. But then you know, like, you know, they, they won in Boston. At the schedule. They, like, well, yeah, they won in Boston on New Year's Eve with Lukanen playing great. Lukanen had an incredible game that day, and that was, I think, that was the first first home loss for Boston that year, if I'm not mistaken. First regular regulation loss was that, or was that an overtime? I forget. Um, I think that was their first regulation right loss at home. No, it was an OT game. Sorry. Um, yeah, but it was yeah, like it was, it was like one of their first Boston losses at home. So like, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, it was a big deal. It was it was kind of a statement game where it's like, oh, okay, maybe maybe Buffalo's got something going here. This is pretty impressive because the Bruins had only lost like what three games at that point, three or four games. Now it was nuts. Um, but like, I'm just looking back at this that that two and twelve type run. And like they, you know, they get embarrassed, but in Boston, the next game, they're at home against the lightning and they beat them. Now lightning were going through their own shit at the time too. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, they lose a close game to Edmonton. They go down the Island. They you know, lose a close game, to the Islanders, and then they come back here and get their asses beat in by Dallas 10 to four. And then that was like, Oh boy. Okay. Well there, there's problems here. Like there's big problems here. And 
you're looking at this like, okay, what do we, you know, how is this, how's this going to go now, man? Like this is, this is tough. And the hard part of that though, I, I hate that I'm looking back at the schedule just kind of like recapping every, you know, recapping the season, but well, like, that's, that's, that's just vital. This is the reason why the Sabres, you know, right. Well, well I'm not going to go as far as to say they would have beat the Bruins yeah. in seven games. Who the hell knows? They might have gotten curve stomped for yeah. three We'll never know. Right. That's all you what know. ifs. But what you're talking about right now, this stretch that you're recapping is one of the biggest, if not the biggest yeah. reason why this team, they make the playoffs that Dallas yeah. game. That was the Tyler Dunn episode because I do remember that. Mm -hmm. That's the every goddamn minute we were looking up in the second <laughs> half of that game, and Dallas was uh was Sorry. scoring a goal. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. Let me real quick here. I'm going to take a real quick break. Come back on the other side, and we're going to continue this conversation. Five reasons why, or five things I should say that went wrong with the Buffalo Sabers plus Bills talk coming right up. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I am back with Joe Yurden from Noted Hockey, Maintenance Day Podcast, Bleacher Report. All right, so you were talking right before the break, you know, that that skit of that 12 games where they only got six out of 24 points. Ultimately, uh, that really killed them. Talk a little bit, too, about the goaltending. Like, when you look back this year, UPL, it, it just seemed, he had some games, you talked about the Boston game on, on New Year's Eve that they, that they well, I don't want to say they stole it or UPL stole it, but he played really good. He had some really good stretches. But you look at his stats for the season, 3.61 goals against average, which I looked it up. That's 47th in the NHL among goaltenders who started at least 10 games this year. I mean, dude, that's fucking terrible. Yeah. 0.892 save percentage. And then Comrie was even worse statistically this year, at least. Anyway, I'm just going by stats here. Mm -hmm. 3.67 goals against and a 0.886. Those are your two primary goaltenders, and neither of them had a 900 save percentage for the season. That's not good. Craig no. Anderson played 26 games, which if you would have said in September, that probably would sound about right. You know, 3.06 yeah. goals against 0.908 save percentage. So statistically, Craig Anderson was your best goalie this year. And when you got two young guys like UPL and Comrie, you don't want that. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about Devin Levi because, you know, we're going to get to him going forward. He's going to be a critical part of this team probably. But we're talking about things that went wrong this year. And Devin Levi is not really anything that went wrong. UPL and Comrie, man, they just statistically, at least from what I see with my own eyes, Joe, that is just mm -hmm. that's not good enough. Flat out. Yeah. 
Yeah, it the the UPL thing is is interesting because he had the, the stretch of November through December. Um, this team isn't even anywhere near the conversation for playoffs without him, mm-hmm. which, is, which is nuts. Like, I mean, the the Boston game sticks out the most, but there's the the road trip, the road trip that I took in two out of the three games on. Um, you know, he he stands on his head in Denver against the Avalanche. They win that game. And then in Vegas, he shuts the door on Vegas in the third period, you know, so that they you know, that they hang on and win that one. Like those were two games where you're like, whoa, maybe this guy's maybe this guy's for real now. And that like those were before Christmas. And then he, you know, he comes back with that game in Boston on New Year's Eve, and you're like, okay, buddy, all right, let's maybe maybe he's the guy now. Like, and that bought him a lot of credit going forward because I mean, how could it not? You beat you beat three of the best teams in the NHL, like you like you are the guy that beats them. I mean, team has to score goals too. I know, I get that, but like he's the reason. Like he's the reason why they held on and won those games. And then you know, and like that was he was pretty fresh back from Rochester because that was after Comrie went out. And like what was it? He won. I'm looking here. He won six straight games. He won eight of nine. Uh, eight of nine, nine of eleven, uh, nine of eleven, nine of twelve. Like, holy crap! Like, I mean, there's a there's a run for like till like, geez, till the All Star break where he was in very good. I mean, there's some games where it's like, oh, geez, what's he doing? But they still win. You know, he's given up. You know, like there was a game against the the Wild game that was here, which was an incredible game. He gives up five, but they win in overtime because Mark Andre Fleury was not great. So I, you know, and they you know they beat Washington down there, the Demar Hamlin game. Um, where everybody was wearing the shirts for for Demar, and they win yeah. that game, uh, down there. Like that's you know those are big points. Like those are those are big games where it's like he held it down. Like you want your uh, the thing goalies goalies say this. This isn't me saying this. this. Isn't pundit nonsense. Goalies will tell you they just want to give their team a chance to win. You know, I mean, usually that means like we'll stop all the shots. Yeah, you're gonna win. But I mean, some games, especially this season for the Sabers, if you let up three. And you stop, I don't know, 37, 38, 39 other ones, you gave your team a chance to win because they could score like crazy. Um, and that's what that's a lot of what Lucanen did, but that's like the all-star break killed him. I mean, after the all-star break, he was bad, like straight up bad. And you know, you're looking at it like, you know, he gave up seven to Calgary. Uh, you know, lots of games where it's like he's given up three, you know, four or five goals. He gave up seven to you know, one of the Boston games, he gave up seven. You know, like it's just, you know, you're just like, dude, come on. Like this is, this was your time. This was your chance to like grab this job and go with it. But it was around that time that Comrie came back. Comrie can't, you know, they, they're running three goalies out there. Nobody can get into a rhythm. And like, honestly, that's, that's what caused a lot of the problem because, you know, a guy would start playing well. And then it's like, well, the other guy hasn't played in a week and a half. We got to play him. All right. Or it's Anderson's time to play. Like, you know, he's been great all year. We, you know, he's a guaranteed, almost a guaranteed W, or at least a guaranteed really good game. So you got to play him. That's why. That's why next year, like if they if they're running three again, which they're not going to run three again. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, they're not running three goalies again. That's not. Nobody was happy. Nobody liked doing that. Like the goalies hated it. Coaches hate doing that. Like nobody wants that. Um, but they got to decide. <laughs> like they got to decide what you know how they're going to do this, how they're going to attack it. If it is UPL and Levi, like okay. You're kind of you're kind of doing a high wire act without a net there, but um, but I mean you can you can take stuff away from and even Comrie season like there are, there were stretches I think he went like what 
went five oh and one to end the season this year. And then he didn't play, he didn't play the last what two weeks of the two through two and a half weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 because of Levi, but I mean, you know, it's, that's hard. Like that's that's really hard to play well and then be like, sorry, sorry, bud, you gotta you gotta take a seat because the kids the kids got us gives us a better chance. You know, yeah. like that's tough. I I couldn't agree more. And we're gonna have plenty of time like in the weeks ahead to talk about some things that they might do or how things might play out in the off season today. We're kind of focused on, well, what went wrong and you're going to scrutinize because they, again, two points, Joe, one regulation victory. You flip yeah. and the Sabres are playing in so the postseason, man. It's just lose your mind doing that. Cause there's, I can agree off I, the top of my head, at least 10 games where it's like, geez, they should have won that one. Uh, absolutely no. agree. <laughs> you know, I mean, they could have been in a playoff spot by 15 points. They could have been like in the running from the division. Well, absolutely. Division, like second place. Absolutely. You know, that know? said, and that said though, my I still take away from this season. I mean, there's some what if, and we're discussing some of it right now, but on the whole, I still feel like this was a positive season. Like I feel good about yeah. the season, even though it sucks mm-hmm. that they blew uh, you know, just one game and didn't flip it and and yeah. make the playoffs. Well, yeah, we, so we talked about goaltending. That was an issue. The pressure, giving some points away to crappy game. You know, I know they lost to Philly mm-hmm. twice in the back half of the schedule. Um, I don't have the stat in front of me, but their home record this year, 17-20-4 and four at home, which is not good. It's mm-hmm. not good. It's just no. not good enough. Nope. I don't have them in front of me, but I remember seeing a stat where when there was a sellout, the, the Sabres played much better. Again, you were at all the games. You covered all the home games this year. Did you feel that at times this year when the, you know, the arena wasn't full or even close to full, that maybe the, the Sabres just seemed to play with less energy at times? Because the, the numbers would indicate that. They don't, the, there were sellouts. They, they won more. Now, I don't know. Maybe it's the opponent. I don't, you know, I don't know that for sure. But it, do you feel like at times it was a lack of energy at home? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's some home games where like, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm looking back at this. I just had to do a search on hockey reference for the sellout number in Buffalo, just so I can, you know, keep, keep track of like which games are wins and losses, but like, it's surrounded by games, you know, like they sold out the Boston game in the beginning, you know, early in the season where it was, I don't know, about 65, 70% Boston fans, which was a little, a little weird, but it was a weekend game and it, you know, it was that three to one, whatever, you know, first sellout of the year, they didn't sell out, you know, the home opener or any of that fine it's fair it's fine but like you know home games against the panthers you know how you're getting like well you know eleven thousand for that a home game against detroit you know a few weeks later you're getting nine thousand. like i mean again early in the season mm-hmm. it's hard to get up for for games like that you know like the, the crowds you know nine thousand. like that's less than half full you know like that's that's tough that, that that's tough i mean you got to psych yourself up for it and and get into it but like it is tough, but I mean, you know, I'm looking back at it, you know, they, uh, let me see here. Uh, let's see. One loss, uh, win, 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 win. Yeah. They lost only one game, two games with a cello, both Boston. Games. Yeah. So it seems like the, lar- <laughs> the larger the crowd, the better, the, the better one OT loss to the Rangers that they should have won. That was, that was, that was a tough loss. Your circuit was incredible. You could write um, that off to some youth, to, a little too much youth, maybe in an experience that, sure. Hey, you know, we got to come play with the same intensity and energy, whether there's three people in the stands or 17,000, you know, yeah. um, again, these are, and that's being a little bit nitpicky, you know, at this point I'm getting a little nitpicky with reasons. I, I feel like we covered the biggest ones 
you know, why they just, what went wrong, I should say, not reasons, yeah. but um, things that just went wrong. And yeah, it's just inconsistent play at home. Uh, I don't necessarily say lousy play at home when they were certainly inconsistent because they were one of the better teams in the NHL this year on the road. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah they were, I mean, I got to see them a handful of times on the road and they look great. I mean, yeah. there's something to be said for for just being able to not stress out about having to impress the home fans. Like, you, there's, 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 I don't know, I don't know what the right word for it is. Just, I don't know if it's a trolling side or like kind of, you know, kind of being a dick about it. Like, you want to send people home upset. You know, when you're on the road, like you want it, like the fans are booing you, they're calling it, yeah. or like you want to, you want it to be like, winner, screw them, send them home sad. Like yeah. that's, that's a pretty good motivator, honestly. <laughs> like that's, you know, everybody loves to play the heel now and again, you know, and that's sure. you know, when you're playing on a team, every road game, you get to be the heel. So, yeah, uh, sure. you know, like, listen, team full of young guys. Yeah. They love being, <laughs> love being shitheads sometimes, yeah. you know, just send, send them home sad. Like that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty good motivator and the other team's going to be tight. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, like I said, those, I feel like those are the biggest, uh, things that went wrong this season. And again, in the weeks ahead, we'll have plenty to talk about. I'm looking forward and plus the playoffs are still going on too, but I'm looking forward. I have a, a renewed sense of energy and optimism right now about the Sabres. And we'll start to talk soon enough about some players they might add or things, you know, they could do to get over uh, that hump. Let's spend a few minutes. We'll turn our attention to football now. And yes, this is talking Buffalo. And yes, this is primarily a Buffalo Bills and a Buffalo Sabres podcast. And yes, Joe Yurden is a very much noted uh, Detroit Lions football fan. I am a Detroit Lions watcher. We're flipping the uh, we're flipping it here a little bit. Joe is usually we say he's the Bills watcher. I'm the Bills fan. Well, Joe's the Lions fan, and I'm the Detroit Lions watcher. I, I want to comment and ask you as well about the Detroit Lions draft because of all the 32 teams in the NFL, I found uh, the draft for the Detroit Lions to be the most polarizing. Because it seems like there's, I've, I've seen a lot of people, whether it's local fans or national fans, which is to be expected, fans right. always overreact. To some extent, the media too, kind of get down on Detroit because of their two first round picks, calling them reaches. Um, let me say this. Yeah. I, and I told you this, but you were busy in, in Toronto, so yeah. we really didn't talk during the draft. Um. I loved, I absolutely freaking loved the Detroit Lions draft. I would say Detroit and Pittsburgh are probably the two teams where I look at players that they drafted and I love them. And I'll tell you, I don't like to look at where somebody was drafted because that don't mean anything anymore. Right. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Now the draft's over. You look at your football team. You look at your depth chart and you look at the players that the Detroit Lions drafted. Let me run through some of these real quick, man. Mm -hmm. Jameer Gibbs, that's the controversial one. The running back went yeah. 12th overall. Nobody saw that coming, which, by the way, this is another problem, Joe, for every team in the league, not just the Lions. Right. Fans, and because of Empire people like myself, who does a series with Aaron Quinn where we do six straight weeks of Bill's mock drafts or just NFL mock drafts, everybody in the world has a mock draft. Every publication, big or small, has mock drafts. You have these draft analysts. Some of them are very well respected and credible. Some of them, quite frankly, are shit. That's just yep. what it is. But anyway, nobody had him going that high. So I I, I get the, the, the shock of it. But Jameer Gibbs, the second running back off the board, he goes 12th. Jack Campbell. Buffalo Bills fans know Jack Campbell very well because there's a lot of Bills mock drafts that had the Bills taking him. Biggest need. 
Anyway, Jack Hamill goes 18th. Never becomes a what are the Bills going to do here issue because Jack Hamill's long gone before we mm -hmm. even get to 27. Right. So those are two guys that some people, a lot of people consider reaches. I don't. I consider these guys good football players that are going to a good team. But after that, Sam Laporta in the second round, second tight end off the board, ends up going before Michael Mayer. And I'm a big Notre Dame fan, so I watch a lot of Michael Mayer. Mm -hmm. He goes in the second round. Brian Branch, a guy that Joe Biscaglia several times mocked to the Bills in the first round. Mm -hmm. He goes to the Detroit Lions in round two. Then in the third round, they get Hendon Hooker, a quarterback, the fifth off the board, who, who knows, potentially yeah. could become in time the starter at Detroit. And we'll see how things play out with Jared Goff. And then you got Broderick Martin in the third round. And Aaron and I talked about him on this podcast several times over the last six weeks. A really good rotational big defensive tackle that I thought would have been a great fit for the Bills. He goes into Detroit Lions. So I, I don't know. Call me stupid, dude. But I'm looking at four surefire starters. Gibbs, Campbell, Laporta, and Brian Branch. A potential long-term quarterback and hooker. And then a really solid rotational guy who maybe develops into a starter in Project Martin. And oh, by the way, you traded DeAndre Swift. So that crowded Lions backfield mm -hmm. is not really crowded anymore. And they got a fourth rounder for him. Yeah. You're not being a homer. I kind of just went to bat for you. <laughs> How do you feel about this Detroit Lions draft? Because I know you're a fan, but even being a fan, you could be objective. Yeah. What, what do you I, think? I freaking love this draft, man. I, you know, uh, listen, I, I went in, I, I tried to not read any mock drafts about the Lions because honestly, like in my own mind, there were, there were positions where I'm like, they need to be better just flat out at these spots, you know? Uh, and you know, things change as different moves are made. You know, they traded Okuda and I was like, all right, I need a corner now. You know, I, even though they've made a lot of additions in the secondary, sure. like they, they've done, done a real nice job, you know, changing and fixing up the secondary. Um, but I, you know, I was thinking like, yeah, I could probably use another pass rusher, you know, give Hutchinson, you know, somebody to free up Hutchinson on the other side. And, you know, and then I was like, well, can use a linebacker too because they've been dropping Hutchinson a bunch back in coverage sometimes. You know, maybe that's like a zone blitz scheme or something like that. But um, I don't want my edge rusher dropping back in coverage a lot, even though he, I think he picked off two passes this year, which, yeah, I mean, whatever, man. He, the guy's a freak. Um, so, like, you know, those were spots. I always want the offensive line to be upgraded because I'm never happy with it. But, you know, lines, the line's actually pretty good. <laughs> you know, I can't get mad about that. Um, and I did want them to get a quarterback. And you know, I was saying that for a long time uh, ahead of the draft because, you know, I wasn't, I'm not, not a big golf believer, although I had to come around on him this year. He played very well. He did. Uh, in the second half. So I, you know, I had, to, I had to kind of readjust my own expectations. Now, that said, I was really surprised that they, they grabbed a running back with their first pick. I was not surprised to see him uh, trade down because uh, at that spot, it's like, you know, you got teams clamoring for quarterbacks or other positions. You're like, well, I don't know. I mean, four, what, four of them were already off the board at six, three or four of them were already gone. Like, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're in a rush to somebody wants to get Will Levis or something like that, which I can't believe he went what second round, second, third yeah, round. The second round, three quarterbacks, right. first four picks. Right. So, yeah. you know, maybe you're thinking like, well, maybe somebody's desperate, desperate. They want to get up there or, you know, somebody that slips out of place. Maybe you want to get them in there, like whatever. Uh, so I get trading back you, know, you got a couple extra picks from Arizona. Fine. Use them to do whatever. Um, but yeah, taking Jameer Gibbs, I was very surprised at that because I'm, I'm immediately thinking like, well, they just signed Montgomery and, and they, they got Swift. Swift and I'm like, I mean, it's kind of what they had going last year with, with, uh, 
Jamal with, Williams. Uh, yeah, with Jamal Williams and Swift and you know a couple other guys running around back there. But uh, you know, once they signed Montgomery, I was like, well, okay, Williams is gone. And it's like, well, Montgomery and Swift. It's like that's a couple of big names for a backfield. Like, you know, it's not a running league; it is a throwing league. But I was like, I don't know. It still seems a little busy. All right. Well, if you trade Swift, then things change. You put a rookie back there. It, it, the dynamics completely different now. Montgomery's the guy. Yeah. So, and, uh, but so like that's I, I listen. It made more sense once they traded Swift. Like I mean, because before I'm just kind of like, what the hell are they doing? I don't, I don't get this. And you know, you're looking at the list of players that you know go after them, and you're like, geez, any one of these guys could have been good too. Like there was a, uh, there was a corner that was right there that they could have taken. That I was like, no man, get a corner. A corner would be nice. Because uh, uh, who the hell was it? Uh, a corner. That Emmanuel Forbes and Christian Gonzalez went not long yeah. after. Um, yeah, after Gonzalez was the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, uh, I, Patriots, I mean, I don't like, I mean, I, I think maybe they traded back because Devin Witherspoon went to Seattle, like right before him at five when they were sitting at six. So maybe that's the guy they had an eye on. I don't know. But, you know, you trade back you get, you know, get Jameer Gibbs like, OK, cool. And obviously, very obviously, they had their eyes on branch and that branch fell to the second second round. I love that pick. They traded to get, the whole draft, to get him. Man. Like they, they, they traded to move up to get him to make sure they got him because I, he could be a Pro Bowler, man. I, I, I really like him a lot. I like trading down. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I was surprised and shocked, like everyone else, about mm-hmm. Gibbs. But if I sat here and told you today, he's gonna give you say Dalvin Cook level production for four to five years for sure. Yeah. I think most people would sign up for that. I, I like would- DeAndre Swift. Dude always gets hurt though. Yeah, and he, he fumbles. always gets hurt. And he, he yeah, he's a talented guy. He'll probably do great in Philly. I mean, hell, that couldn't be a better fit for any running back than to yeah. go to that Philly offense with Hurts and, and he, Brown. And and like he can catch the ball too. Like he's yeah, he's a good back. I got nothing wrong. I got no, I got no hate for DeAndre Swift. He's he's really solid. But yeah, the injuries. No man, dude. Like I, I I loved I I loved the Detroit Lions draft. I really did. Um. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say the, the, the pick that really that really kind of caught me was uh was Laporta. Uh because t- I mean, you know, listen, tight ends is tight ends a sore point for me because they traded Hawkinson last year and I was like, what are they doing? Like is you're trading them within the division, like give me a freaking right. this shit. <laughs> um, but then they go <laughs> go and get another Iowa tight end because they're just like, well, let's just get the other guy. Uh and Laporta, I mean Laporta's Porta seems pretty nice. I, I know the I know the Bills guy that they picked is kind of like a tight end and name. Yeah, he's uh, a big, he's slot a big guy. guy that catches passes. Like, okay, I, I mean that's that's fine, but that's not necessarily what uh, Dan Campbell wants for his old line. He wants a tight end that plays kind of the way he did. The part is good, man. So I, you know that that guy fits the profile completely. Same for Campbell, honestly. Yeah. Um, the, f- the fact that Dan Campbell wants to get a guy named Jack Campbell out there. I mean, Campbell's a good middle linebacker, man. I don't think he he was far and away the best inside linebacker in this draft because mm-hmm. and the next linebacker didn't go or the middle linebacker, I should say, didn't go to Drew Sanders went at the end of the round too. So yeah. it was a full round and a half before the next inside linebacker went. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't get calling him a reach. As for Laporta, look, man, you got the second, uh, they had the pick of the litter with the tight ends after yep. Dalton Kincaid who went to Buffalo, but they could have taken Michael Mayer. They could have taken lots of other guys. Um, I think, I think the hang up with Mayer, um, and you know, I mean, obviously, you've got like the Notre the Notre Dame view of it. I have a, I've, you know, just reading views of other people, people smarter than me. Uh, I think some of the commentary of Mayor was that maybe he's not as great of a pass catcher. 
that you know he's solid at blocking, can take care of that business, but like pass catching, not maybe not his, maybe strength, but his, his I think his biggest problem is Michael Mayer is that he does things well, but he doesn't do any one thing special. He's not a special blocker. He's not a special route runner. He's not a special pass catcher. He's like a utility knife at the position who could do a bunch yeah. of things good. But it, like Sam Laporta is a much more athletic pass catching tight end. Dalton Kincaid is more like a wide receiver yeah. than an inline tight end. So I think that was mm -hmm. part of the problem with Michael Mayer is he's more of a traditional tight end, which yeah. again, hey, I mean, he went to the Raiders early in round two. It's not like the guy fell out of the draft, right. you know? So. He still might be well, but yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I, I, just, I don't know. Like, I, the, the pick that I that I do love and like somebody, you know, somebody notified me about this because I, I paid. It's the first time in a long time I paid like no attention to the Lions draft. I mean, obviously, they've always had picked high and I've been very bitter about it. This year was kind of like everything was everything was gravy this year. This year, the draft, was like, hey, whatever. They got a lot of good parts already. Like, cool. Yeah. Add to it if they, they can. Mm -hmm. Hen and Hooker, dude, that guy had an incredible season at Tennessee. And like everybody forgot about him after he got hurt. Like it, he just completely fell off everybody's radar. And like that dude, dude, Tennessee was like a top, top 10, top five level team with him in there. And then, you know, he gets hurt and they fall off. Like that's going to happen. But that dude's really good. And I don't know. I look at it as the, like the branch, the branch pick. I mean, they traded up to get it, but like that's a, that's a hell of a value second round. Hooker in the third round to me is like, well, everybody forgot about this dude. This dude could have probably should have been a first round guy. It, there was a lot early. of mock drafts where he was going to go in the late in the first round, fifth quarterback. Right. They stayed true to that, but um, yeah, a lot of mock drafts but had they, him going as yeah. high as the early first. I think it's a great situation for him too. He doesn't. Yeah. He's not going to be thrust into any starting role. He nope. will not start short of Jared Goff getting injured right. before when and if he's ready to take over uh, that role. And I, and I honestly think that's what they were hoping for it. I think that was, that would have been the temptation had they picked a quarterback with that number six pick. If there was one there is that that guy has to start right away. Cause that's where the NFL is now. Yeah. And in my mind, I was, I was like, no, he doesn't have to start. Like if they took, you know, say if like Anthony Richardson falls to him and it's like, it was like, well, that guy's got to be your starter. I'm like, no, he doesn't. I, you know, let golf play. You're paying him $40 million. You got to let golf play. Yeah. And golf I, has to play it. He has to hold up his job. But like, if he doesn't do the job, then okay. Then, you know, then you switch off. But like, Hooker, you don't have that stress now. Now, obviously, if Goff returns to his late Rams, you know, la you know, two seasons ago, Lions form, then uh, yeah, people start screaming. But I don't think, think that's going to happen. I think he's in a right fit, and I think he's in the right system. If I look at Detroit, I would be like, maybe if I wish I could go back and do one thing, maybe I would have taken a corner early. Like maybe yeah. instead of uh, Gibbs, maybe you take a corner. But I like Gibbs a lot, it's, so yeah. it's really hypocritical to say. I, I do wonder if maybe Gibbs slips to 18 if you if you take a corner, like I say, if you take a quarter there and you're, you're like, whatever. I know, and you yeah. lose Jack Campbell. It's like I, Detroit right. valued, quite obviously Detroit valued getting Campbell over whatever linebackers were uh, out there at the time. Right. It's it, it reminds me, like the criticism, it reminds me a bit, and I took part in this, and I'm going to bring the NHL back into it, but the year the Sabres took Jack Quinn in the draft, I remember saying very specifically on Twitter, that after, I forget who picked in front of him, but they didn't take Marco Rossi, they didn't take Quinn, they didn't take whoever. Uh, but I said the Sabres had to run to the podium and take Marco Rossi because he center, like we knew Jack was was on his way out. We knew like everything was changing up the middle. And I was like, well, they're going to need a center because they don't have any guys that can really own it. Like Cousins is going to be a couple of years away, Middlestat, I don't know what he's going to do. And I was like, you got to get a center. Rossi's the guy. 
And then they took Quinn and I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, what's going on here? And it turned out like that draft, whoever they took, like the guys that were taken before and like the next five picks after Quinn are all really good players. So like they were in a, essentially looking back in a no lose situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what this is for Detroit. People sure. are like, what the hell are they doing? Like what if Gibbs turns into the next Jamal Williams and he scores, you know, 15 touchdowns. He's going to be Jamal Williams and a lot more explosive. Than Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams is a pretty nice player. So and you've upgraded. Was, I think he was, nice. he, was a, he was a TD vulture, but like yeah, he, was, he was. He was, good. he was, but yeah, I think I think it's a big upgrade, Jameer Gibbs talent-wise over mm-hmm. uh over Williams and Swift as well for that matter. So anyway, that's the Detroit Lions. Um, let me preface this too. So we're gonna talk just a couple minutes of bills today, but mm-hmm. obviously, we're I'm going to spend a shitload of time talking about the Bills <laughs> draft the offseason. I got Aaron <laughs> Quinn on with me every week. Yep. Uh, doing the shows from Imperial more times than not as a football guest. So there's going to be a shitload of, of Bill's talk. So don't worry out there if you're watching or listening. <laughs> Quickly, though, this draft. All right, so for the most part, I, 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 the draft was fine, okay? That, that's yeah. what I would say. Unbiased about the Bills, I'll say this draft was fine. I do like the Dalton Kincaid pick. I think you 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 look at the the title in front of his name and it says tight end and that could turn you off. Yeah. Don't look at the title that says tight end. Mm-hmm. You know what you call him? Call him what weapon or what pass catcher because that's All what he is. Specialist. He's, he's <laughs> going to play the role that Cole Beasley played a couple of years ago. That's the design. That's the thought process. He's going to be out there a lot. He's going to be a big slot guy. Mm-hmm. Also, what I love about the pick in Sal Capacci, I want to make sure I give him credit because he's the one who brought this up first. You're gonna have a lot more two tight end sets now, but but that second tight end, and it's not like Dawson Knox can't catch the football, right? But last year the Bills played a lot of six offensive linemen, which is basically a two tight end set, and they would have Bobby Hart out there, an offensive tackle. You knew ninety percent of the time the Bills were running the football when he was out there. Now you got Kincaid, you got Knox. Kincaid could play in line as the second tight end. He could be in the slot. He could be split out wide. You're dictating to the defense more with this pick mm-hmm. what they're gonna do. You want to play. Three linebackers in a base. Well, good luck having a linebacker watching your guy in the slot. You know what I mean? Or you're playing a lot more nickel now because you got to respect the pass catching ability, which will invite the Bills to run more effectively this year. So I really like the Kincaid pick for a lot of reasons. I wanted Jackson Smith, the Jigba, or um, Zay Flowers. Didn't work out that way. Brandon Bean was not willing to give up a third to move up. I think it was 19. He had to get to the Tampa Bay to do that. So I like the Kincaid pick. Osiris Torrance was a guy who a lot of people were mocking to the Bills in the first round. I think he's great value. I was surprised that they took a guard because they've spent a lot of, they spent enough resources this offseason in guard. They signed McGovern from Dallas. They signed David Edwards from the Rams. Uh, Ike Bakker's back. So I was a little surprised, but I do like the pick. I think he, he'll be a day one starter. I want starters with their rookie picks. Not like other years, even last year. Kyrie Elam was a first-round rookie, didn't even start to at the end of the season. Got beat out in camp by a six-rounder, by the way. But anyway, I like that pick a lot. Later in the draft, those are guys, we'll, we'll wait and see. I don't know a ton about them. Mm-hmm. I had one problem with this draft, and I was really, really vocal about it. I freaking hated, and I still hate, the pick of Dorian Williams in the third round. Hate the pick. Look, I like the kid. And I hope he turns out, I hope I'm wrong. I'm a Bills fan. I hope I turn out to be wrong. I hope he becomes a great football player. I just don't get it, Joe. You mm-hmm. take an undersized 
linebacker again for the second straight year in the third round. And even in the press conference, Brandon Bean said he's going to start out on the outside. Translation, there's Matt Milano's backup. In the yeah. third round, you're taking a guy you already know is going to be a backup, and he's a really good special teams player. So you took a guy who you know is going to be a backup linebacker and a special teams guy. Those are guys you go get in the fifth, sixth round, man. Not the Those fucking the guys third you round. signed after the draft. Yeah. Honestly. So naturally, Saturday morning, I was bitching about it, of course, because that's what I do. And Bills fans were losing their mind, you know, and it's so hypocritical. And this is what I, I shouldn't even say Bills fans, because you know what? 31 other franchises, I'm sure the fan bases are the same. Right. If a, a writer, if somebody like yourself or me or TV people, radio people, whoever, if you, if you, if you praise a pick, oh man, you know, you know, great insight, great analysis. Yeah. You blast a pick. Well, fuck, what fuck do you know? Do you know him? How do you know him? You're not, you're not in the bill's front office. Why don't you let him wait? Why don't you let him wait and see how he looks on the field, but then make a judgment. But if you praise Mm -hmm. someone immediately, it's a different story. I think it's a, I think it's a shitty pick. I think it was a horrible allocation of resources. And I look at the third round of the draft and, you know, again, doing these mocks for six weeks, Joe, we studied Mm -hmm. a mock draft. Isn't just projecting players of where they go. A mock draft is also an exercise. And Aaron and I talked about this each week. We brought up a bunch of scenarios and a bunch of players. And in the process, you learn a lot about these players. The Bills, after they took a backup inside or outside small linebacker, Mm -hmm. Wanya Morris, one pick later, the Chiefs trade up one pick later, and they go get an offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. Wanya Morris would have competed from day one with Spencer Brown to start at right tackle. So that's the Chiefs. Michael Wilson from Arizona, wide receiver, a big Gabe Davis type. He goes to Arizona three picks later. Roderick Martin, a guy I just told you about that I like for Detroit. He goes five picks later than the Lions. Uh, Jordan Battle, a safety. The Bills had a lot of safeties come in during these like top 30 visits. Yeah. He goes to the Bengals four picks after. So I fucking hated that pick for the Bills. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. I hope Dorian Williams turns into a special player down the road. But there's mm-hmm. no path to, for him seeing the football field. You know when he's going to see the field? When Sam Martin comes out to punt and when Tyler Bass comes out to kick the football off. That's mm-hmm. his path to playing time. And it's a third rounder as a rookie. Yeah. That's the one thing I hate about the, this draft for the Bills. I would I would be much more concerned that the teams that are your direct competition behind you picked Wanya Morris, picked Jordan Battle, like even Pittsburgh, yeah. Darnell Washington. Like that's I mean, it's tight ends. Like what I mean, yeah, they had a tight end. Tight end so that part Pittsburgh, anyways, but like you know, like that's that's that that has to be concerning. Like that's got to be something where it's like, did we screw up? Is this? Did we make a bad move here? Like you got to, especially when Kansas City trades up right behind you to get the what offensive, offensive tackle. tackle. Like, I'm no concerned. Man. I'm concerned at how much Brandon Bean loves Spencer Brown. And I'll tell you, I want to love anything in this world. I want to love my family more than the Bills love special teams players because <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. <laughs> You're taking a third round special team player and maybe two years from now, they keep him on 15 pounds and he becomes uh, a really good player. Again, I don't see the path. If Matt Milano goes down, I guess you you could have a quality backup down the road. I yeah. just don't see a path to him ever being more than what he is unless he moves in the middle. But even, you know, Brandon Bean, when you say he's going to start out on the outside, he probably is staying there. I don't know. I, mean, I, I get very confused nowadays with, with the whole middle linebacker thing. And this applies to Campbell too. Isn't everybody's base defense now the nickel? Like, isn't yeah, it? got to have two linebackers. Are, are both linebackers technically outside or sure. maybe both inside. I don't know. But like you're putting, you're starting off with five D backs already. Well, and, and I, I, I know it's reduced 
some of the you know so, you know some of the uh, importance of linebackers because your linebackers have to cover more than you know than be pass rushers. Some you know for the for the most part, but I don't know, man. Like, to, to, and I don't know if this guy's undersized to the point of like a Sam Mills. Where remember, like how I mean, Sam Mills was a great great linebacker for the Saints, but he was small. Like he was a small dude, but he hit everybody like a truck. Like, yeah. Unless this, this guy is like a truck, then two twenty. I think he's like two twenty something or whatever. But it's like uh, safety size, you know. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, man. So one thing I like, but it also goes back to the other thing. The one thing that I hate about this draft too, is we wondered what the bills would do at middle linebacker. Like it was Jack Campbell and then there was Drew Sanders. And then there was a huge drop off and basically nobody else was worth taking. Well, we didn't get a chance to take Jack Campbell because Detroit Mm -hmm. took care of that for us. Us, I hate saying us for the Bills. Second round, <laughs> Drew Sanders, who I did not. This was probably one of the biggest surprises of the draft to me. Mm-hmm. He was still on the board when the Bills were on the clock at fifty nine. I'm like, holy yep. shit! I did not expect that. And mm-hmm. the Bills passed on him to take an offensive guard when they're not really thin at guard. And that's not me criticizing the Torrance pick. I just said I like the pick. I was right. just surprised, and that tells me the Bills are good, either they have a plan B that we don't know anything about yet, or they're good with going into camp with the whole Dodson, A.J. Klein, Terrell Bernard, Spectre competition at middle. So I like that because there's no other linebackers worth taking after Sanders. But then they go back in the third round and they take a backup outside smallest special teams base linebacker, man. Right. Fucking pisses me off. I hate it. I hate that pick. And I hope I'm wrong and there's no disrespect to Dorian Williams as a man, as a human being. And I hope he becomes a great player. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it, man. Just don't get it. It's it's the it's the I don't know. I guess that's part of the fun of the draft is that you see these things, and you, we spend tons of time reading about players. I mean, me not so much with the NFL. I mean, I keep up enough just to have an idea, like what you know, what my favorite team is going to be into. Yeah, exactly. Um, sure. But I mean, like when when you look at your team and you have obvious holes, and NFL drafts gotten to a point. I, mean, I don't think it was, I mean, maybe this is just me making it up in my own head, but I don't remember like a time where you were getting starters in, like in the th- second, third, fourth round, maybe second round, but like third, fourth rounds. So, like you're not talking getting guys that are going to go right into the lineup. I mean, maybe it's salary cap. It's changed now. But, yeah. Um, but to, to, to get that deep down and, and having, you know, obvious holes, obvious places where it's like, well, especially for a cap strap team where you're thinking like, well, how are we going to address this position? And then you don't address it in the draft. And I know drafting for need is you, you, you can get yourself in trouble if you draft for need more often than talent, but like mm-hmm. the same point, if that's your one chance to like shop from the store and get what you need, take care of it. It just feels by description, a backup outside linebacker who's great on special teams by description that should be a guy you go get in the fifth, sixth, or seventh round, not night two. And the Bills have had a spotty track record in, in the Brandon Bean era of day two picks. Mm-hmm. Concerned about it. And again, three years from now, if I'm wrong, I'll own this. I'll eat it. And trust mm-hmm. me, people will remind me about how awful my takes were on Dorian Williams. I just don't like the pick with the situation. But anyway, all right. So. And we'll talk plenty about this, whether it's you, whether it's Aaron Quinn, I have we on, weeks for this different stuff, guests. <laughs> but now that the draft's over, you look at the offseason for the Bills in totality, okay? And 
last year, my biggest beef with the Bills offense was it felt like they had no identity. It felt like their identity was, okay, Josh Allen, go out there and be great today. That was their offensive identity. Now, this offseason, okay, they draft Dalton Kincaid, who, again, is a big slot guy. Oh, Cyrus Torrance is his big run mauler type of guard. Um, Damian Harris, and they just signed, by the way, Monday, today, as we're taping this, um, Latavius Murray as well. 230-pound running back, 32 years old. A lot of uh, mileage on those tires, but I think he's going to compete for a roster spot. But anyway, Damian Harris, a bigger running back. Murray, a much bigger running back than Devin Singletary. You got your big slot guy, Kincaid. Uh, like I said, Torrance. Um, Trent Sherfield is a great blocker. They signed him. He's just a death guy. But my point is this. I think on offense, they're looking to be more unpredictable by having, you know, and they're looking to be more physical on offense. Mm -hmm. So I can see an identity forming where they're being more unpredictable. And when they do run the football or just being a bigger, more physical team on offense, defense to me is pretty obvious because they basically didn't do shit all offseason for the defense, except right. resign a couple of their own guys. They resigned Phillips. They resigned uh, Shaq Lawson. But anyway, they're pretty much, they lost Jermaine Evans, which is big. They're running it back on defense minus him. And for the defense, the philosophy is it's all about health. You know, mm -hmm. Jordan Boyer being healthy this year, he was a, a mess at the end of last year. Micah Hyde basically didn't even play last season. Trey White was a shell of his former self. Uh, Ed Oliver was banged up. Jordan Phillips didn't even play in the playoffs, or he tried to. He, he was a mess. Quad Jones got hurt last year. And, of course, Von Miller coming back from the ACL. The defense is like, all right, our defense is good enough to at least contain teams, let's, but we got to be healthy. Offense, they put all their resources and most of their draft picks in as well. It's like, we need to be bigger, physical, stronger, and less predictable. So that's, yeah. the way I, that's my glance at the at the offseason. Yeah, the, the defensive bet, because this is a bet Bean's making, that everybody who's hurt comes back and can play at that same exact level that mm -hmm. they were. Which, you know, I mean, Trey White... Like, Trey having a full off season of, of training and not recovering from, you know, from surgery and all that, like that's huge. Sure. But man, that injury is tough for corners. Like that's a hard injury for corners. Like everything that, you know, Hyde and Poyer have, have been dealing with. Those are hard. That's those are hard injuries to deal with, especially, if, you know, I mean, Poyer's what 31. Like that's, you know, that's tough to, that's tough to fight through Von Miller. Like, is he going to be, I mean, I can only assume he'll be as explosive as, as he, as he always is, but it's a lot of bets to hope that they all cash in because these are all vital guys on the defense that you need to play at that all pro type level to, to be able to keep up because the AFC is a AFC is a meat grinder and you need all those guys to be what they were two years ago, you know, at this level, because if they're, if they're, you know, if they're 80, even 85%, in night, you know, even even eighty five percent of what they what they were before, you're giving up an advantage in different spots. You know, I, obviously Miller changes up the pass rush side of things. He opens it up for everybody. Sure, you, you him at eighty five percent is still better than having zero people there that can't do any of that stuff. I agree. Yep. Um, but the secondary man, like your secondary, has to be on point. There, there's too much passing around the league. There's too many good quarterbacks in the AFC that these guys know how to pick it apart. If it's, you know, if there's a weakness, they're going to go after it like crazy. We saw Cincinnati do it. We know, we know Kansas City can do it. Uh, and, you know, you know, Aaron Rodgers, idiot, like who knows what, you know, what he does. I, I'm sure he's going to be fired up all season. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. I just, 
it's the kind of situation where I would have some better insurance behind those guys just to make sure. I mean, you're not going to go out and sign like another all pro guy to be like a, you know, a third safety. Like you're just not doing that stuff, but I would at least have some guys that you are a hundred percent confident can jump in there and you don't lose a lot off of that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, they believe in their guys that, which, Hey, that's, that's good. You have to, but at the same point, you, you kind of got an idea of what some of that looked like last year. And there were some obvious issues with that. I think, um, before the off season's over, I could see them signing a, a guy in a defensive line, a veteran for some insurance. And we'll keep our eye on middle linebacker. Cause I'm still not sold that what you see right now is what you're going to get. Uh, week one, one last quick bills take two. I think with this draft, it showed that um, Brandon Bean is going to show confidence and faith in James Cook at running back and Khalil Shakir as a slot receiver and Spencer Brown a right tackle because the bills really didn't address those positions um, mm -hmm. at all. I took a receiver, but not to the fifth round. So I'm not really expecting much. So anyway, I mean, you do draft and develop players. And, you know, if you would have came right back with the a receiver this year or running back early in the draft, it would have showed that, Hey, we kind of made a mistake by taking these guys where we did. So I don't know. Again, long off season, uh, plenty of time to talk about that. One last thing. And then we're out of here, dude. The Yankees stink, man. Like, I know a lot of people listening or watching this are probably rejoicing with that statement, but the Yankees yeah. end April tied for dead last in the division. They're getting buried already by a, yeah. a really good Tampa team. But uh, three out of seven they've lost, or three out of ten, I should say. They're three and seven in their last ten. Fifteen yeah. and fourteen, not really that good. They're already, what, I'm looking now, they're eight games back eight already games of out. Tampa. Holy yeah. shit. This seems not And forget the record. They're just not that good, man. They're, they're yeah. not really, really that good at any one specific thing. The hitting's not that good. Starting pitching outside of Cole's not really that good. Yeah. So, um, it's uh i mean they, they got i mean they got injuries like right out i mean they they're sure. down like carlos rodon hasn't pitched yet frankie montas i don't know i i think the a's sent over a guy with a defective shoulder that sucks severino um, still hasn't pitched yet severino, yeah. yeah i mean yeah I, severino like banking on severino to do anything is tough because that dude gets hurt every single sure season. does uh, you know, Harrison Bader has been hurt. Like that's, I mean, it's technically your starting center fielder. Stanton gets hurt again. Uh, what else you know, is new? Tommy Canley hasn't pitched yet out of the bowl. Like all, I'm just looking at their 60 day DL and it's like all the, you know, Luizaga, Severino, like Josh, Josh Donaldson can stay away forever. Like that's fine. But, uh, you know, like uh, looking at some of these names, like, uh, yeah, it's just they're, a, they're a mess, bro. It's a lot of dudes in the on, in pitching, and then like, let's you know, be guys, careful. Guys aren't hitting either. Like that's careful. the other part. I was gonna say, let's be careful because we're. Uh, I don't want to just accuse the Yankees of you know well they're not looking good because they have got so many injuries. The mm -hmm. guys that are out there on the field every day aren't exactly lighting it up that well either, man. So yeah, you know, and, and like some of these, like they, I mean, they hedge their bets with thinking that uh, Peraza and Cabrera, you know Cabrera, the two O's, we're gonna be able to jump right in and be you know, be able to go for it, which, Hey, I, I appreciated that move because signing, you know, these old ass dudes to come in and play got, I, I, I was over that very much over that, you know, and I was happy that Volpe, uh, you know, get, you know, got the job right out of, right out of spring training. Like, that's good. He's young. Like he, I, him struggling to start off. I get that. I really thought this off season was going to be one where they traded Glaber Torres to get help somewhere else. And he's been, 
okay. Like he's still not hitting great. Rizzo's been awesome. You know, Jose Trevino, whatever. He's he's fine. You know, judges judge isn't hitting great. I mean, he's but like there's nobody to protect him in the lineup now. Like, I mean, you don't have to pitch to him, you don't have to throw anything to him. Right. You know, LeMayhew's been whatever. You know, they Isaiah Kiner for left was still on the friggin' team, so was Aaron Hicks. Like, yeah, it's like <sighs> Yeah, get these guys out of here. Like, yeah, I've been saying, I've been saying getting Kiner Falefa out since like last season. And then Aaron Hicks, like, I feel bad for Hicks because he was a good player, but man, oh man, two straight years of having some kind of debilitating injury where it takes him out for, you know, half the year, whole year, whatever it was. Like, he had to get Tommy John surgery or some shit. Like, like, it's just, dude's done. Like, I know you got got him on contract for like, what, three more years? Buy it out. You're the freaking Yankees, man. Just buy it out. Eat the money. Same thing with Donaldson. Get these these bums out of here, man. Like, The friggin' like the friggin' Diamondbacks could eat Bumgarner's money, and they're the Diamondbacks, man. Like, come on, like, yeah. You don't, they, don't worry about your stupid budget. You're the goddamn Yankees. It feels like they're headed towards a very uh, middle of the pack season uh, yeah. for me. And again, for a lot of people listening, a lot of people watching, that's I'm sure that's music to uh, oh sure their ears. But it's anyway. just like, ah, oh, man. Like I'm looking at the starting rotation as it is right now. Like Cole's incredible. Like Cole could win Cy Young this year, easy. Uh, Nestor Cortez, he's, he's, you know, whatever. Like he, he gets better as, as the summer, as the season goes along. Domingo Herman, I've wanted off the team for like three years. He's still there and he's somehow their number three starter right now, which I hate. Uh, and they've been having to lean on Clark Schmidt and Johnny Brito. Like I, like, listen, they, they screwed with Schmidt last year, played him out of the bullpen. Cause he's a starter. He's supposed to be a starter. Maybe his stuff isn't starter stuff, which it's certainly not looking like it's starter stuff now. Um, so like, I don't know, maybe figure him out like he's your long reliever middle reliever whatever and Brito, like whatever he's freaking 25 like he's not supposed to be there he's, he's supposed to be he's supposed to be pitching in scranton right now like that's that's the way i look at it the, yeah i'm looking at this bullpen man like you know clay holmes like whatever he's closing it's fine like ian hamilton like, who the hell are you um jimmy cordero's playing like just, i mean come on man like jimmy cordero is 31 and like he's one of their better guys in the bullpen right now like what what like come on well, like, stupid it's uh, it's so it's so stupid and like there, there's no sympathy for the Yankees out there. I understand that's what that. I'm saying. People we're, are listening, we're talking to like, in our own echo chamber. Exactly, we're we are talking in our own echo chamber because most people <laughs> are probably listening to this or watching this and they're like, "Oh, screw you." Anyway, at least Franchi Cordero was good for a couple of weeks, but uh, anyway, yeah. that's I mean, like, that's all he was going to be good for, though. Like uh, his whole career has been like, "Wow, he had a really good couple of weeks," and then. Boy, he stinks. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Yurden. And also, by the way, make sure you uh, subscribe. Notedhockey.substack.com. Five bucks per month, 50 bucks per year. Check out the Main Day podcast weekly. Along Joe alongside, I should say, Lance Lazowski of the Buffalo News. Thanks, man. Good to, good to have you back. Um, I hope Toronto continues to play well and you get to go to games. I just hope that they don't fall on Mondays. <laughs> I Listen, I, as long as the NHL schedule plays nice, then, then I'll appreciate that. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll be back with Aaron Quinn. Brand new episode on Thursday. Talk to you then.